It's Tuesday, March 5th. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. The war between President Trump and the House Democrats has officially started. On Monday, the House Judiciary Committee sent document requests to 81 individuals and entities related to President Trump and his inner circle. Spencer Ackerman, national security correspondent for The Daily Beast, joins us to talk about the three broad areas of interest Democrats are probing, allegations of obstruction of justice, public corruption, and other abuses of power. Next, Amazon is continuing its quest to infiltrate every part of your life. After changing the online retail industry and buying Whole Foods, they are now planning to launch a new grocery store business. Heather Haddon, reporter for The Wall Street Journal, joins us to talk about where the industry is heading big retailers combining e-commerce with physical stores. Finally, despite winning three Oscars for Roma, Netflix is still getting no love. Legendary director Steven Spielberg is on a quest to boot Netflix from Oscar consideration. In his view, once you pick TV as a format, you should be competing for Emmys. My producer Miranda joins us for Spielberg's fight to keep Netflix from playing with the big boys. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. I cooperate all the time with everybody. And you know the beautiful thing? No collusion, it's all a hoax. You're gonna learn about that as you grow older. It's a political hoax, there's no collusion. Joining us now is Spencer Ackerman, senior national security correspondent for The Daily Beast. So the war seems to be on now between the president and Democrats in the House. The House Judiciary Committee demanded a ton of documents from nearly everybody that's ever known the president, it seems like. They're trying to probe three main areas, which would be public corruption, obstruction of justice, and other abuses of power. What do we know about all the documents that are requested and who exactly has been requested these documents of? It's a really wide-ranging series of investigative lines of action, you might say, on the part of the House Judiciary Committee. And this is material that inevitably will also inform the other House committees that are run by Democrats now investigating Donald Trump, intelligence, ways and means, oversight. This is really going to be full court press for the foreseeable future. And this is coming out of, uh, as we said, the House Judiciary Committee run by Gerald Nadler of New York. And if impeachment proceedings were to proceed, it would run out of his committee there. It would run through him. A lot of people are saying this is laying the, the groundwork for possible impeachment later on down the road. I mean, Democrats are really uh, wary of going that far just yet, but is that really what they're hoping for? Is that where they're trying to get at with all this? I don't know what they're hoping for or what they're trying to get at, but if you were going to impeach Trump, this would be tremendously useful material toward that end. This speaks to the sorts of things that Richard Nixon was was impeached for, including obstruction of justice. This talks about these are lines of inquiry, not definite pieces of information that they've already necessarily gotten from a lot of these investigative targets, but things like Trump and his family selling their offices, essentially, enriching themselves off of Trump's presidency, and about, in some cases, intimidating witnesses. There are some questions out in seeking documents about potentially Trump dangling pardons in front of people who have now been under indictment. So really quite a lot of material that would be useful for an impeachment of the president if the Democratic Party goes down that route, though who knows where they'll find the votes to convict Trump in the Senate. Yeah, I mean, it seems like it's a really uphill battle, especially concerning the Senate. The other worry would be is you go through this, you you paint him as such a horrible person, and then 
later on down the road, you don't really find a smoking gun. You don't really find something that would be cause for that. And then they just have egg all over their face. I mean, we're still waiting for the Mueller probe to end and for the report to be, you know, if anything comes public from that. It's kind of a trepidatious little road that they have to uh, walk along right now. Well, one of the things that's striking to me about these 81 government agencies, organizations, businesses, individuals who receive these requests is that the first wave of what they're being asked to produce includes at their discretion, material that's already been given to Mueller. So if you were to try and figure out a clever way of, of circumventing what that Mueller report would say if the administration, and particularly the Attorney General, Bill Barr, attempts not to give it to Congress, this would be a pretty good way of reverse engineering what Mueller has found. All right. These requests are not subpoenas right now, so there's probably going to be a lot of pushback on what these people would want to give up? That's correct. In order to successfully subpoena someone, you've got to go through a series of processes. They can't very well subpoena people before giving them a chance to cooperate voluntarily. And you can also see in some of the people who've received requests, including people who have who have served as lawyers for Trump, like Jay Sekulow, like Don McGahn, the former White House counsel, some expectations of of perhaps pushback on aspects of material that might claim attorney-client privilege or executive privilege over. So still to be determined who's going to cooperate and who's going to resist. Who are some of the other top names that they uh, requested these documents of? Oh, wow. So many people. So two of the president's children, Don Jr. and Eric, his son-in-law, Jared Kushner, really just absolute masses of people, the former attorney general, Jeff Sessions, Julian Assange of WikiLeaks, Roger Stone, Roger Stone's associate. Randy Credico, the Republican operative Paul Erickson, who's the boyfriend of now-admitted Russian agent Maria Butina, the former National Security Advisor Mike Flynn, Mike Flynn's son Mike Flynn Jr., the former Communications Director Hope Hicks, Steve Bannon, really you can go on and on, the NRA, really just 81 people and entities, pretty much everyone who's ever, you know, had more than a cup of coffee with Donald Trump. And then it's about weaving all of the information they get into some type of narrative that would fit... Uh, I guess whatever they want to accomplish with these, you know, prove that he fired James Comey on uh, political purposes or tried to say, hey, end the the Mueller probe now. So they're going to have to create that story from all of these documents that they get at that point. Well, I don't know what you mean by that, because like, if you're an investigator and if you've got tons of firsthand documents, tons of firsthand material, you can be hacky and shoehorn that into, into various narratives, or you can use that to actually guide where your investigations go, as one ought to. Spencer Ackerman, Senior National Security Correspondent for The Daily Beast, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. that Amazon has been, yes, looking to expand into physical retail for a couple years now. I think there's some realization there is limits of just being an online store. People do want to see products. They want to get a better sense for them. Joining us now is Heather Haddon, reporter for the Wall Street Journal. So Amazon, they're never stopping their quest to get involved in every aspect of our lives. Obviously, they've kind of upended the whole online retail game. A lot of people go to them for a, a range of products. They bought Whole Foods and made their way into the grocery store business, but now they're actually going to launch a new grocery store business doing maybe what they can't do there at Whole Foods. 
What do we know about their new plans? These are all very preliminary, but it does seem like they have a very aggressive timeline for expansion into some major U.S. cities, so L.A., Philly, San Francisco, and looking to potentially do some smaller format stores, so not as big as a traditional grocery store, a little bigger, though, than a traditional convenience store to try to bring a new type of grocery experience to customers, again, targeting cities for now, so urban customers, but this would be Amazon actually moving into their own brand of grocery stores. Unclear if it would be called Amazon at this point, but these certainly would be, like you said, very separate from the Whole Foods stores. Yeah, they're not necessarily intended to compete directly with Whole Foods. And there's a lot of restrictions on what Whole Foods doesn't sell. They don't sell products with artificial flavors, colors, preservatives, sweeteners, things like that. So these other stores are maybe where you can get your soda and all of your other sugary foods. Just from reading over your article, it seems like they don't want to get pinned down either in these particular stores. Like they don't want to be seen as oh, this is all we sell. They want to sell a range of different products there. Yeah, so two points. One, exactly, Whole Foods stores has restrictions on the type of products that you can sell there. So a lot of focus on natural products. And that does restrict the products that can go there. And there's been a lot of suppliers over the years that would love to go into Whole Foods stores, really try to get some traction with those high margin dollars, but they just can't. So this could offer a potential option for them to sell with a very known name in a place where they wouldn't have such restrictions. So the other thing here is that Amazon does look like they're looking for flexibility in these leases, these real estate leases. So the ability to sell more in different types of products like beauty products, which we reported. A lot of leases do tend to have restrictions on just selling a certain channel of products, so food or general merchandise to not compete with other retailers in that mall or strip mall. But it seems like Amazon is trying to avoid that. What's the thought process of expanding their footprint? Because obviously they're huge in the online retail industry, really killing off a lot of other brick and mortar retail stores because more people are shopping online. But now they're increasingly focused on getting these physical retail stores. I mean, is it just complementing their business? Or what's the thought process? Well, it seems that Amazon has been, yes, looking to expand into physical retail for a couple of years now. They have those Amazon Go stores. They have some bookstores. And I think there's some realization there is limits of just being an online store. People do want to see products. They want to get a better sense for them. And this could be very good marketing for them. I mean, this is putting the Amazon name in front of shoppers in a whole different way to get them thinking about Amazon as a grocer, which might help them then in turn go online. So there's a certain cycle here that could off of itself and really help boost Amazon food sales all around. Analysts are also saying that really where the industry is heading is this kind of combination of the big retailer and the e-commerce store. I mean, Walmart's doing these things where you can order all your stuff online and they'll bring it to your car, basically. You just pull up and they'll help you load in and, and head out. Obviously, Amazon does really well at the online part of it, but with these physical stores, they can kind of complement that part of it and maybe lead the charge there again. A lot of retailers are trying to think about this, how to make physical stores complement online services. So for the traditional retailers, they're really trying to boost their digital offerings 
offerings in all kinds of ways, like pickup, digital pickup, where you do drive up to your store and then pick up the goods. Some are also looking to expand into the delivery, which is very expensive, but it's something, the convenience that shoppers really are seeking these days. And it's all to keep people shopping at their banner, at their brand, and to keep them from just going to Amazon or another pure online retailer is what they're trying to do here. So it's interesting that Amazon is taking the reverse approach. You mentioned that Amazon has mixed results with its food delivery business right now. What kind of problems are they having? Delivery is very expensive for these grocers to offer. Amazon's food delivery, they've been in food delivery for a while now with Amazon Fresh. That was something they offered, have offered for a number of years now, but have scaled back as they've tried to focus more on delivery actually from whole food stores, which gives them a certain advantage and makes it closer to customers. It gives them, it cuts down on the last mile, as they call it, in terms of how far these orders have to be shuttled around. I mean, that's really where the real expense is. So it seems like they are shifting for as they're learning more and more about grocery delivery and trying to make it work. You guys announced these plans that uh, Amazon has had on Friday. And what happened in the market as a result of that? I think some other companies, their stocks went down because they announced they were going to be getting into this other business. Kroger really got hurt by this. They were down by more than 4%, and it's bad timing for them because they have earnings next week. Walmart also was impacted, also Walgreens. So clearly investors see this, and they're scared. They know what happened when Amazon bought Whole Foods. That was also a scary time. A lot of traditional retailers in grocery lost a lot on their shares, so there's some deja vu here. Now, since then, some analysts have said that maybe that was an over-exaggerated response, that there should be a correction, that this isn't like Amazon is taking over all the grocery on day one, but it's still investors are concerned. Right. And maybe it is time to start getting ready to see Amazon a lot more places. Heather Haddon, reporter for the Wall Street Journal. Thank you very much for joining us. Okay. Thanks so much. And the Oscar goes to Alfonso Caron. Roma. Joining me now is my producer, Miranda. So we just got out of Oscar season and a lot of the conversation surrounded Roma, which is Alfonso Cuaron's Netflix movie. It won the Oscar for Best Foreign Language Film, Best Directing, and Best Cinematography. It was also nominated for Best Picture, but did not win out there. But a lot of people were really concerned, like, how much power does Netflix have? Is the movie good enough to win an Oscar in any category? And there was a lot of pushback on it. Now we're hearing that director Steven Spielberg wants to go to war against Netflix. He wants to change some of the rules so that they really wouldn't be in the running or an Oscar. What do we know about this, Miranda? Well, there are a lot of rules associated with what movies are allowed to be submitted for Oscar consideration. And one of them is that they have to have a 90-day theatrical release. You have to be able to be in the movie theater for three months to be in consideration for an Oscar. Roma only spent three weeks as a theatrical exclusive, and that was because of pressure from the Academy and Steven Spielberg to get it into limited theaters. So I think it ran in only like Los Angeles and New York and a handful of theaters. Meanwhile, Netflix movies are way more accessible to people. They're in 190 countries, 24-7. Steven Spielberg, his motivation does seem to come from from the theater house. Like I, people need to go see the movie in its purest form, sitting in the theater in a dark room with a bunch of people. His spokesperson said that uh, Steven feels strongly about the difference between the streaming 
and the theatrical situation. He'll be happy if other people join his campaign. We'll see what's going to happen. They have a an Academy Board of Governors meeting next month, and he is the head guy for all the directors. So when he says something, people listen. But that's kind of where he comes from. You have to see the movie in a theater. But there's hypocrisy there because you and I both know, living in Los Angeles with spouses who work in the industry, you get screeners. The way the Academy right. members are voting on these are sitting in their living rooms watching DVDs of these movies. And that's Steven Spielberg's whole point is, like you said, he wants people to see it in the theater with the sound, etc. And he considers Netflix films to be TV movies and that they should be considered for Emmy nominations, not Oscars. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's an interesting notion, and I get that. You do consume it at home. You consume it on your TV. His quote was, once you commit to a television format... You're a TV movie, so you're in the Emmy category. And he's also said, I'm a firm believer that movie theaters need to be around forever. And it seems like this push is just aimed at that, keeping that format alive, which is fine and respectable. But Netflix came around and changed the game. As you said, people don't have the luxury of going out to movie theaters. Right. Movies have been getting so much more expensive now. Tickets can be up to $20 almost. And then your concessions and all that stuff. And I get it that that's its own industry and a lot of people work because of that industry, but people love Netflix. People love to see these things in their own home. And a movie is a movie. A good movie is a good movie. Does it matter the distribution? To that point, and that's the Netflix's whole point is they're saying we love cinema. We also love access for people who can't afford to or live in towns without theaters. Many of these Oscar films don't get wide theatrical release because they're so... Um, Art housey. And this goes back to the Academy rules need to be rewritten conversation that people have been having for the last couple of years to A, include streaming, to B, include a popular film category. Movies. Which are, they took away after. Yeah, actually. but they should have that, in my opinion. I'm nobody, but that's what I think. People saw Black Panther. A lot of people didn't see Green Book in the theater, you know? A lot of people are saying that it's going to ramp up again because there's going to be a new Martin Scorsese film called The Irishman. Mm -hmm. That movie is going to have Al Pacino, Robert De Niro, Joe Pesci, Harvey Keitel. Who knows how their Oscar contention program will look if any of the rules change? Well, they showed a trailer for it during this year's Oscar ceremony, and it said in theaters, but it didn't say wide or select, and it didn't say also on Netflix. So there is some confusion as to how right. it's going to premiere. And that's part of the thought process. Maybe they're going to shoot for a wider release than just an exclusive theater house type thing where it has that wide release and it kind of meets a lot of the other criteria. Right. There's been pushback in the industry. I know Ava DuVernay has said, I don't agree with this. And this just kind of goes into how do you get Netflix to play by these rules? Because if I have Netflix and I hear about this big movie coming out, The Irishman. Oh, I'm watching that. Yeah, but you're going to watch it at home. You're going to wait till it comes out at home. You're not going to go watch it in the movie theater because yeah. you already pay for Netflix. There's this proposed idea called the theatrical tier, which would add $2 to your Netflix subscription and allow you to go see these Netflix produced Oscar contender films that should be seen in a theater, but you get to go for free and right. see it in the movie theater. So maybe that's a sort of meeting in the middle that Steven Spielberg can agree with. And that's interesting too. think of movie pass. Does that two dollars cover the cost of Netflix paying for a $15 movie ticket? You know, is it only uh, Saturdays at 11 a.m.? They're going right. to show it one time. So it's very interesting. Steven Spielberg has a ton of pull there was already all this speculation and concern over how well Netflix was going to be doing in the Oscar arena, and they proved it this past season. So thank you, Miranda. Thanks, Oscar.
That's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on Twitter and Daily Dive Podcast on Facebook. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. The Daily Dive is produced by Miranda Moreno and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive.